The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, Downtown Church. Uh, It is good to be with you, but it is not good to be with you here. I so wish we were back at Levitt Shell. I wish that we were in a gym at Streets and we were all together and uh, we didn't have to continue this virtual worship uh, that we've been engaged in for way too long now. Uh, But we have to know that our God shows up wherever we are, Uh, that our God is faithful. He is faithful to meet us, and he is faithful to bless his word. Um, And I need his word this morning, and I hope you do as well. So let's go to Psalm 62. If you have your Um, devices, or if you have an actual Bible sitting in your lap, uh, open it to Psalm 62 as I'm going to read this psalm to us. And uh, as you're getting there, I'm really focusing on the first seven verses and really only verses one and five, um, and and I think it'll make sense when we dive into it. But let's hear now uh, the reading of God's Word. David writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Our great God, this morning, we beg you to come and meet us where we are. O God, yet another week has passed, and... We have experienced more trauma, more tragedy, more loss, creating more confusion and more anxiety and more worry. And and in the midst of all of this uncertainty, God, we come to hear from you. We come that you might speak to us, O God. We come that your word might operate in our hearts and minds and reorient them toward you, that, that we might find you to be a sure foundation, a, a fortress, a refuge, that we might find you to be the life that this life is not giving us. 
this world is not giving us. Our jobs are not giving us. Our, our relationships are not giving us. Oh God, we need you in this moment and we pray that you'd meet us. Do so, oh God. And, and, and Father, you know I need you more than anyone. So God, speak through me. Superintend your spirit, your power, your words through me. And, oh God, may I be blessed by your word as well this morning. May I be changed by your word this morning. May I be shaped and manufactured uh, to a different product, even because I've handled your word, because I've sat under your word. Oh God, do that for me. Do that for us. Don't leave us as we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just sang. Uh, the first song that we sang this morning uh, rang out, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And as I meditated on those words this week, I, I kept coming to the same conclusion in light of this passage, and that is this. I have to call foul on that. Uh, friends, you nor I truly choose the solid rock when we have the choice of the shifting sand or the sinking sand. Uh, so much of the time, the things that we run to are not the one thing that will feed our soul, but the very things that will sink us. And that's where we find David this morning. You may have not have caught it, but in, in, in verse 1, he is referring to uh, the fact that he is waiting on God. But by verse 5, he's telling his soul to wait on God. And that is the, uh, that, that's the tension within which we all live, and that's the tension within which David lived. You see, his own son, Absalom, was trying to kill him. Absalom was so power-hungry that, that he was seeking to throw David, his father, off of the throne by killing him. And yet David, unwilling to kill his own son, fled. And so David is fleeing, and the nation is gossiping. There are rumors abounding. Where is King David? What, what is he doing? He, did, he couldn't tweet out that Absalom was, what was after him. He, he couldn't put on social media, guys, I, I'm, I'm gone for a little while. No, all they were left with was the fact that David was gone. And so gossip was abounding. And David is, is, is suffering from his son betraying him to the point of seeking to murder him and his people gossiping about him. And if you've ever been in leadership, you understand at least some of this tension. You don't have to be in leadership long. You don't have to be a parent long. You don't have to be an employer long. You don't have to have any control or authority or, or, or power over anyone in any context for long before you understand that it, it's not necessarily the threat of your own life, but it's the gossip and the threat to your own identity that is the real pain and the real hurt of leadership and power and control. And that's where we find David. And friends, even in this pandemic, we find ourselves uh, with, with, with real uncertainty, faced with real uncertainty, we too are losing control and we too find our souls in a place where we can choose the shifting sands, the sinking sand, or we can choose the rock and, and build upon him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So this morning, it, it, it's so simple. David directs us in such a simple direction. Wait for God alone in silence. 
And yet we have to do so so much because our hearts are sin sick. And, And so much of what that means is that we are unwilling to wait. And we are willing to take instead action and control for ourselves. Think about this. Our inability or refusal to wait on God exposes our God complex. And that should be a, a, a small g. But, but it, it exposes our God complex for, for point number one. You see, a, a central attribute of God is his control. I mean, we know that. We talk about the sovereign reign of God, the sovereign rule of God. What we mean is that he's in control, and we instinctively know that we're not, and yet the fall has impacted us. It has infected us in a way at this very point. It was Adam and Eve that said, no, we know better than God. We, we can't trust his control of our lives. We have to take control. We have to do what's right. Uh, we had one daughter that was very vocal about um, th- this matter of taking control. I- I'll never forget, and, and Rachel and I say it to her a lot and even say it to one another when one of us is going for control. I do it myself. I do it myself. She would say this constantly to us. I do it myself. A- and she didn't think, she genuinely was utterly convinced she didn't need us As she stood in the house that we're providing for her, as she is in the clothes that we have bought for her, as she's eating the food that that her mother has prepared for her, as she, you get the point, and, and that is really the point. And that's us with God. We're constantly pushing against him. We're, we're constantly saying, I do it myself. I do it myself. The, the, the fallout of the pandemic is revealing to us this whole reality that we are control freaks, that control is our God, and we, we couldn't even see it so much than we can now. But the COVID world that we live in now is re- revealing that we need and want control. And yet, we see it in the, in the very reality that the only thing that has happened, the only thing that has changed, really, is the fact that we have sensed that we're out of control because nothing has, God has not changed at all. He is the same yesterday. He's, he's the same pre-COVID as he is in the midst of COVID as he will be post-COVID. The only thing that has changed, the, the thing that has caused this disturbance, this, um, this you know, the, the, all of our anxiety and all of our worry is that we, our sense of being in control has been obliterated on, a, on numerous, numerous fronts. All we have to do is talk to our teachers to, 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 to understand that. You see, when, when, when we are out of control, when... Uh, when we, when uncertainty really strikes us, fear arises, and what is the default to fear but control? And our teachers experience, if you're an employee, I, I can assure you, you experience it. If you are married, you experience it. If you're a child, you experience it. Um, if you're an employer, you're experiencing pressure begets pressure begets pressure begets pressure. Uncertainty, we, we go to control and, and you sense it as a teacher because you're having all of these unrealistic expectations placed upon you. Um, teach a classroom of students virtually for six or seven hours a day. 
and do it effectively where their test results, I mean, come on, it's, it's crazy. And yet, why is that happening? Because the state, because uh, local authorities have put pressure on, on principals who have put pressure on teachers who have put pressure on students, um, and, and that filters to the parents as the students cry out, and then the parents put pressure on the teachers. And you see the common denominator on that, our poor teachers <laughs> in the midst of this. But you experience, too, in the workplace, if you're in manufacturing or warehousing, for a time you were shut down, and now everybody wants the product. And so you're having to, to work on an ungodly amount of hours, an ungodly amount of days to try to get the product either manufactured or to the store. Uh, we, we see it all throughout um, every industry, our medical professionals, um, having to work around a virus, the effects of which are so uncertain, almost like I heard someone this week um, saying it's like playing Russian roulette with, um, with a magazine of, of 200. Uh, 199 people, it doesn't infect that much, but one person, like my cousin Lee Cook, uh, in great shape, dies from it. And that is the environment in which our medical professionals are working in, and it creates a huge sense of uncertainty, which creates a huge sense of lack of control, which creates a huge activity and, and flurry of seeking to get control, either in relationship or at work or in some other context. And then on top of that, we just have life itself. I think about our... Uh, sisters, um, Tracy Ward and Kitty Slaughter. I think about what they're facing in the midst of all of the uncertainty, in the midst of all the other pressures, having to see Tracy's brother, Kitty's son, put in hospice. Uh, having even this week to put Kitty's husband, Tracy's uh, stepfather, um, potentially, maybe, in hospice, but at that point. It, it seems unfair. It seems like their worlds are, 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 are spinning out of control. I think of Marissa Baldwin, who uh, lost her sister early on um, to, to cancer, and then her uncle just a couple of weeks ago to COVID. I think of the grief in the midst of, and she is a teacher, she's in that, um, that profession, and I think about all of the chaos. How can she withstand it all? I think of our parents and so many in our congregation. I think of us in the midst of the Brianna Taylor verdict being read this week. Yet another, yet another on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, and the list just seems infinite reminder that injustice seems to be much more in control than justice. I think of the presidential election and all the chaos around Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, seat being open and the rush to fill her seat and the opposition. I think about all of the uncertainty in our world. And I can relate to David's words. I feel like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, a leaning wall, a tottering fence. All it takes, all it's going to take is one more little nudge, and I'm going down. That's where David was. 
King David, that's where he was. And yet he knew where to go in the midst of feeling like that. Do you? Do you know where to go? Well, David tells us secondly that waiting for God, that we are to wait on God and to do so demands two things, active patience and acceptance that God is up to something. To wait on God demands um, active patience and, and a real acceptance that God is up to something. What is the cure for our condition? David says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. And then in verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For God alone, wait in silence, O my soul. From the deepest recesses of our hearts, we are to wait. And friends, waiting is hard. It sounds so simple. It would be so easy for me to just say that. Just wait. Let's go. Let's go on with our day. Shortest sermon ever. But no, why do we have to dig deeper? Because we are not good waiters. I, it came to me as I'm studying this passage this week. I ordered a pair of, of brand new running shoes. I love that moment when I get to order brand new running shoes. Um, and I love that first run. And I thought my first run was going to be uh, yesterday, Saturday morning, because I ordered them on Wednesday. And ASICs promised me they had it in writing, ship date or, or, or ship time, two days, arrival Friday. Well, Friday afternoon, about 3 or 4, I'm like, where are my shoes? Began to panic. I get online. I track my shipment. Oh, they changed the ship date to Monday. Can you imagine the indignation? <laughs> Seriously, I found myself in a crisis. Where are my running shoes? How come they're not here today? They told me they were going to be here today. What happened? Yet one more thing, Richard, you're not in control. You're not in control. I think Amazon and online shopping and the like are, are defaults for so many. Some have run to food. Some have run to alcohol. Some have run to exercise. Many of us have run to Amazon uh, because we can, we can be our own little demigods. We can reign over all the products of the world, and we can choose as, as all these products are being put in front of our face, all these little subjects coming before us, pleading with us to choose them. Um, and, and, and then we have some even rising to the rank of bestseller. Uh, and then, oh, the pinnacle, Amazon's choice. <laughs> and you choose your product, and, 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 and there's power as you push that button. There's power as you, as you reach out for something to give you some sense of control. And then you have to wait on it. And you lose control all over again. Waiting is hard. We see it in parenthood. What is the, the most power, it seems like, many parents, especially of teenagers, have? Here it is. Here's the threat. You don't want me to take that phone from you, do you? <laughs> you, you know, hand me your phone. Oh, my world is coming to an end. Why? Because it's my little pacifier. Go watch Social Dilemma on Netflix little sidebar there. Uh, I highly do recommend um, that documentary. But it's true. We are addicted to our devices and the thought of them being taken away. But what is at the, the, the root of that? These devices are, are um, just a, a drug of choice that we go to to, um, to keep us from having to wait on God alone in silence. 
It's just hurriedness, it's busyness, it's noise that we can just um, engage our souls and our minds with and our hearts with. Activity that keeps us away from, from doing what we know will bring us real life, and that is waiting for God alone in silence. Oh, they're not evil, but we are. They are not the problem. We are the problem because our souls are restless. And we don't listen to Augustine. He says, our, our souls are restless until they find rest in you. No, our souls are restless until they find that perfect product on Amazon, until they eat that perfect steak, until they have that perfect sal- salad, until they uh, uh, you know, get into that perfect tiny house, whatever it is, whatever your dream is. And yet David says, no, all of this is, is junk, and only God will satisfy your soul. And so he tells us to wait, and the Hebrew word for wait is patient. Isn't that interesting? Patient. It says don't, patience is not giving up. Don't despair. It's waiting in hope. In the midst of uncertainty and lack of control, be patient. And patience comes from a deliberate act of humility. It's saying, I am not going to satisfy my soul with anything other than the God of glory. I am not, I'm, he is worth waiting on. He is worth moving toward. He is worth disciplining and directing my heart and life in, in such a way that he becomes central, not all of this other noise. James 4, 13 through 16 points this out, that patience is just humility. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into uh, such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? So says James. For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Friends, we can't even say, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll see you this afternoon at three. We have no idea what will happen between now and three. We don't have the control. We don't have the power, is what James is saying, to say that what we can say honestly and truthfully that really goes, if we really believe it, to something deep in our hearts. If the Lord wills, I'll see you at three this afternoon. That's the kind of humility um, that, that we should have as believers. You see, impatience arises from an assumed omniscience. If I say, I'll see you this afternoon at 3, what I'm saying is, is I know that there is control. I know that I have control of my day and I can see you at 3. This assumed omniscience. But friends, we don't know. We can't know. Only God knows. And that's the point. And so patience is having that humility to to genuinely know that God is ruling every circumstance, um, every event in our lives. And then also patience comes through a vote of our own personal growth. This whole reality that, that we have to accept that God is up to something. You see, we are refined, we are changed, we are manufactured or sanctified toward Christ and like Christ, not through wealth and comfort, but through suffering and trial. How are diamonds made? The most precious jewel, how are diamonds made? They're a piece of coal at first that is put not just under a little pressure, but intense pressure. 
And without that intense pressure, that piece of coal, black coal, remains coal. And yet under pressure, intense pressure, it becomes the most beautiful, beautiful product that you can possess in this life. Friends, that's what God is doing for us. Listen to James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. Friends, what what James would say to us today is let this pandemic run its course. You let it you let God so use it in our lives to produce in us to manufacture in us what he is seeking to manufacture and produce in us. You see God is reigning. He works all things, all things, all things for the good of those who love Christ. Do you believe that? Are you, will you accept that? Will you accept it when you're in a detour? And I am the worst that maybe God would have you on that detour. Will you accept it when your boss is pressing heavy down on you, pressing you down to the ground? You know you're under an, an, uh, uh, an obligation that simply cannot be accomplished in your own strength. Will you go to God and say, I trust you? Or will you kick against him and say, give me control? See, this is what is at stake here. Patience is such a a struggle because it's the uh, impatience is at the heart of warfare. There is a battle going on for our souls. Will we trust God or will we trust ourselves? Do we know what the best outcomes in this moment are or does God? Quite frankly, it's as simple as that. Fear man itself in control and brings anxiety, but faith manifests itself in patience and acceptance that God knows what he's doing and God is at work even, yes, even, yes, even in whatever's going on in your life. You can trust him. And how do we know we can trust him? Thirdly and finally, waiting for God alone in silence demands practice. It demands practice and he is worth the practice. If a child wants something and he's begging for something, even screaming for something, let's have a little multiple choice question here. What should you do? What is the best parenting? I know what the most pragmatic parenting um, uh, choice is going to be, but I'm saying to really shape that child into a productive human being we, we know instinctively it's not to give them what they're crying out for and demanding and begging, but it's to teach them patience. It's to teach them to wait. It's to form their, their um, crying and, and, and impatient souls in a different direction. And friends, we also know that that's exactly what God must do to us and for us that he might wrestle us unto himself. We, we saw it last week in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Friends, that's an activity. You say, what can I do? What can I? This is what we can do. This, it's the hardest thing to do. It takes the most self-discipline. It takes the most self-control. Be still and know 
that I am God. And friends, he is worthy. That's what David is saying. It's not be still and be uh, not satisfied. It's be still and get satisfied with the one who will satisfy you the most. You see, suffering can only happen to the extent that something that, um, that we love ultimately is threatened. Did you hear me? That is the root of suffering. It's when something we love ultimately is threatened. And so what David is saying is this, look, if you become my ultimate thing, then no one can, then suffering is impossible. <laughs> then, then I simply will, cannot be shaken. You can't shake me because no one can take God from me. That's what he's saying. Listen, he knows from him comes what? My salvation. He alone is my rock. Not that new pair of shoes. Not that new product. Not this exercise. Not whatever. No, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Oh, we don't know how to refuge. Yes, we do. That's exactly what we're doing. I can refuge in a new pair of shoes just for a moment. Just the thought of getting them. Just the thought of them being on my feet. It sounds ridiculous, but that's how petty our souls are. And yet, God says, no, here. Here, here, I offer myself to you. And then by the end, in, in verses 5b through 8, or excuse me, verse 8, um, David writes this, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. O people, pour out your, your um, heart before him. God is our salvation. That, the Hebrew word that he uses for salvation is Yeshua, and it means deeds of deliverance. Help, security, victory. That's this kind of salvation. A deep salvation. Deeds of deliverance. Certainly our God has done all the deeds of deliverance that we need to bank on glory. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him, as he's crushed for, for my iniquities, as he, as he is pierced for my transgressions, as he is punished, I can be loved. As I become his righteousness, he becomes my sin. God can now adopt me and accept me as his son or daughter. He can have us as his own children this is the kind of God that is calling us, uh, that David is calling us to wait on. Uh, this is the kind of God, the, the God um, who gives us this fantastic word picture in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells this parable uh, of some servants who some are waiting for their master to return and diligently working and the others are just goofing off and, and, and not waiting at all. And listen to what uh, Jesus says in, in Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake 
when he comes. That means, that means waiting, awake and waiting when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come. He, the master, Jesus, will come and serve them. Here is the picture that we have of one who waits on God. Jesus puts on the servant's robes and, and comes to us and waits on our every need. You know what a waiter does. He doesn't come and say, this is what's being served tonight. He comes and he says, what would you like? <laughs> this is the picture that Jesus wants you and me to have of him, of those that wait on him. One day, someday, he will wait on us in glory and we will have no needs. And, 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 and we will not have any sense uh, of the trials and tribulations that we go through right now. This will be a distant memory. And the reality of glory and our Savior and our King waiting on us will be our new reality. Oh, dear friends, this is the God that we must wait on. So, friends, are you waiting I've done this as like the third sermon that I've, I've literally asked you to take action. Don't just say, oh, yes, he's worth waiting for, and then go and go back to a lifestyle of not waiting. Are you waiting for the Lord? Are you building habits in your day where you genuinely are waiting for the Lord? If you need something, uh, dailyprayerproject.com. This is the little booklet, or there's an online version. It's very simple, very short. It doesn't take long. I would say take longer as you, as you become accustomed to it. But build in worship in your day. Build in these habits. If not, your heart is finding refuge somewhere else. So find refuge in Christ using any tool, going to his word, simply taking Psalm 62 and memorizing it. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. He is my salvation. He is my help and shield. Memorize it. Speak it to yourself. Meditate on each word. Take time. Be silent. Meditate on these things and let God come to you. Because he's the reward of it. Let him come to you and shape your soul for life. That you might even experience him now as you wait on that day when he will serve you in glory. Pray with me. Our great and glorious king, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a master who bends the knee. You are a master who, um, who can sympathize and empathize with our every weakness because you became weak even unto death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our, our glorious master and king. We give ourselves to you, O oh God. Oh, meet us where we are. Convince us that our life can be lived in a different direction, that hope is available, that power is available. And it's not by us grasping it, but it's by us abdicating it and acknowledging your reign, your sovereign rule, as good and right and purposeful in our lives. Oh, God, do that work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word this morning as we uh, bring our, our offerings to him. You can do so by texting all lowercase. 73256. Uh, or you can go to downtownchurch.com and set up regular giving or do a one-time gift there as well.